If you are willing and able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word from Acts 28, 23 to 21. Grace and peace be with you from the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of God says, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved and disagreeing among themselves. They departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their eyes they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that is the word of the Lord. May God add his blessings to the reading, the preaching, and the hearing of his word. And all the church says, you may be seated. If you could pick one all-expense-paid vacation to anywhere, where would you go? If you could pick one all-inclusive paid trip to anywhere, where would you go? Think about it for just a moment. Would anyone like to tell us where they would go? Anyone? No takers? Armenia. Armenia. Anywhere else? Anyone else? Ireland. Ireland. Italy. Anyone else? These are great places. Greece. 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 Okay. Now. Yes. Lake District, England. Lake District, England. Okay. And you had one? You want to go where Jesus was born? To Bethlehem in Israel. Great. Now, you have these dream places in your minds, places you would like to go. And again, what if it's all inclusive, right? All expenses paid. That would make it a very sweet deal, wouldn't it? But let me add one wrinkle into it. What if you could have this all inclusive, all expense paid trip to any of these places you want to go? But there's only one little thing that we have to add to it that the trip has to include some kind of jail time. Would you still want to go to those places if you had to go to jail for at least part of that trip? If you had to be arrested to make the trip? 
You see, we come to a story here at the end of the book of Acts, and we are seeing Paul under house arrest. He is in the city of Rome. I'll take you back a few weeks ago. We met Paul traveling down to Jerusalem, and it was on that journey that he wrote a letter to the Romans telling them that he wanted to come visit them. In that letter, he expressed his missional ambition to preach the gospel where Christ had not yet been named, as he says in Romans 15, to those who have never been told of Jesus will see and those who have never heard of Jesus will understand. He expressed his pastoral desire to go to Rome and spend some time with there, but he had some interest involved. He wanted to spend time there and then get support from that church in Rome and go on to Spain. Think about that. The Apostle Paul had a missional ambition and a pastoral desire to do cross-cultural ministry, specifically cross-cultural Hispanic ministry. He wanted to go to Spain. There's no biblical evidence that Paul ever reached Spain. We have extra biblical evidence that he did. A writer in the first century tells us that Paul preached in the east and in the west and that he won the genuine glory for his faith, having taught the righteousness of God to the whole world and having reached the farthest limits of the west, which many take to mean Spain. Sometime later, the Muratorian canon referred to the journey of St. Paul to Spain. So the Bible doesn't tell us that Paul actually made it to Spain, but writings that came after the Bible tell us that he did. Because after two years of being in Rome, he was released and he was free to roam about the country. And it appears that he roamed all the way over to Spain and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ in Spain. Well, last week we met Paul on his way up from Jerusalem to Rome. And you remember what happened. He was involved in a shipwreck. He spent some time on the island of Malta. He was bitten by a snake. And we learned in that story that the power of the serpent had been broken as the gospel of Christ was breaking out into the world. And now Paul has arrived at Rome. After many twists and turns, he has reached his destination. And I want to point out to you that if you've been reading the letter of Acts or this book of Acts, you learn that Paul was a Roman citizen. He had appealed to Caesar. He wanted Caesar to hear his case. And that is how Paul got his all expense trip paid to Rome. All expense paid trip to Rome courtesy of the Roman Empire. Of course, he had to travel in chains. He had to endure a shipwreck. His life was on the line. He had to be bitten by a snake. And yet, in God's providence, he finally made it to Rome. He's not a free man. He is a prisoner. He is under house arrest. He is awaiting his trial with Caesar. And in the meantime, what does he do? Luke tells us that he gathers Jewish leaders around. He does what he's done everywhere he's gone. And that is he tells people about Jesus Christ. And the first thing he does is he tells Jewish people about Jesus Christ. 
And the reason he does that is because he himself is Jewish and he has a heart for his people. You have to understand that even though Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, he still had a heart for the Jewish people. And we see throughout his writings and throughout his ministry that Paul wanted his Jewish kinsmen to be saved more than he wanted anything else in the whole world. When he wrote the letter to the Romans, they've read it by the time he arrives in chains. He said to them, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my Jewish brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. So you see, Paul had a deep and true love for the Jewish people. He wanted them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So one of the first thing he did when he got to Rome is he gathered the Jewish leaders and he wanted to make sure that they heard the good news straight from his mouth. Straight from his lips. He didn't want them getting hearsay or rumors. He wanted to tell them the straight story of the gospel. And so they came together to hear his views because they seemed so strange to them. But they wanted to give Paul a fair shake. And so they spent a whole day, morning till evening, listening to Paul as he set out for them the gospel of grace from the scriptures, from their Bibles, from the law and the prophets. The thing I want you to see that Luke highlights for us here is that Paul did not just preach at them or pummel them with doctrinal facts. He tried to persuade them. He tried to bring them along gently and graciously. He was trying to help them connect the dots in the scripture and center them on Jesus Christ and then change their minds so that they would come over not just to his side, but to Christ. What does it mean to persuade someone? It means that you're going to show and tell and show and tell. You're not going to shout and trick You're going to show and tell. And here's how he did it. I learned this from Tim Keller as he talks about certain principles of persuasion that I think we would all benefit from learning. But these are some things he says about Paul and his mission that I think are helpful to us. And I've tweaked this a little bit for the sake of this story and our experience together. But Keller points out that Paul was two things. He was message centered and he was audience oriented, message centered and audience oriented. A missional and pastoral messenger pays careful attention to his audience. And then he accommodates his preaching of the gospel to them in a way that suits them. Now, that might seem strange to you, but if you've ever taught children, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because you're trying to accommodate your language and those concepts so that children can understand what you're saying. If you teach in a different language, you don't speak in your language, you speak in their language. You're accommodating to reach those people. 
Paul was accommodating, not changing the message, but speaking the gospel in a way that his Jewish kinsmen could hear and understand and connect the dots. And so in this way, he was trying to persuade them. He was message centered and audience oriented. He preached the same gospel in a thousand different ways to a thousand different people. The gospel never changed, but the way he talked about the gospel changed. That's the mark of a gracious communicator, a gospel preacher. And here's how he did it. Again, I'm borrowing this from uh, our brother, Tim Keller. The first thing he did is he identified their frame of reference. He learned who these Jewish leaders were. He learned what made them tick. And in this case, it was fairly easy because he was much like them. His audience was made of devout Jewish people, as he had been a devout Jew at one time, and they happened to live in Rome. The second thing he did is he entered into their frame of reference. In other words, he looked for ways to connect with people. He looked for common ground. He looked for entrance ramps into their lives. He looked for ways to Connect with them. And you see this in the story as he says to them, talking about our people, the customs of our fathers and our nation, the hope of Israel, the kingdom of God, the law and the prophets. He entered into their frame of reference and showed that we have some things in common. We have some common ground and places that we can build on that overlap. And once he got in there and he gained the confidence of those people, then as someone on the inside looking out, he could begin to challenge that frame of reference. And in this story, he shows them from their own sacred writings that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. And he showed them from their own sacred writings that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord and the Savior who was sent into the world to crush the serpent's head and deliver his people from sin and death. In other words, from inside the framework, he could say to them, your scriptures Our scriptures have been telling us about these things and your understanding is good as far as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough. Here is the missing piece of the puzzle and he can put it together for them. And then finally, he resolved the tension by recognizing the different responses, by recognizing that not everyone has seen things the same way. He sees the different responses. And notice, as you read this carefully, he then distances himself, not from everyone in the community, but he distances himself from the leaders who did not believe. And it's at this point that he says to those who did not believe, who did not embrace the gospel that he preached, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to Your fathers. You see what he did? Up to this point, he's been saying our customs, our fathers. Now he says your fathers. He draws a distinction there. The Holy Spirit was right to say to your fathers. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed perceive. See, but never perceive. And so again, he brings them back to the scriptures, their scriptures, and applies them to them. And then he delights in God's grace towards these non-Jewish people groups of the world. Notice how he wraps this up. 
It's almost like he's taking a parting shot or one last jab at these Jewish unbelievers because he says, fine, you guys don't want the gospel. I'm going to take the gospel to the Gentiles. They will listen. They will hear. They will believe. God's salvation will come to them. And I want you to know it. Our, our experience over the last several years in our ministry here has been very much like Paul's experience at Rome. I'm not suggesting for a moment that I'm like Paul or that any of you are like Paul. I'm simply saying that our approach has been very much like this. We have tried to do this kind of thing with our kinsmen in different language from different uh, cultures and contexts. And we've tried to do it here in this community around us. We wanted to persuade people of the power of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Bible, from the scriptures. And we have tried to set out the truth about Jesus from the scriptures and show people the love of Christ, not only with our words, but also with our deeds. Like Paul, we have received a variety of people into our homes. We've welcomed them into our homes and we've eaten together and we've showed hospitality and we've taken great pains to love and serve people around us. And like the Apostle Paul and like Isaiah the prophet, we have seen mixed results in our ministry. So there's nothing new under the sun. We've seen mixed results in our ministry. And nevertheless, we have continued through all of the ups and downs, through all of the joys and sorrows. We have continued to proclaim the gospel of salvation with confidence and assurance that God's word never returns empty, that it always accomplishes the purpose for which God sent it out. As the scriptures say, Sometimes God's purpose is to harden hearts and plug up ears or blind eyes or prevent sinners from turning and being healed in that moment. But sometimes his purpose is actually to illumine the eyes and unplug the ears and tenderize the hearts in order to permit sinners to turn and be healed. The thing that Paul knew and that we are learning is that salvation belongs to the Lord. He hardens whom he will harden. He shows mercy on whom he will show mercy. That is about the mystery of God's sovereignty. But the mystery of God's sovereignty does not change the mission of our responsibility. Our responsibility is always to proclaim the gospel of salvation to any and all people and people groups without discrimination, without showing favoritism or partiality. And we do that for the praise of God's glory and grace. We preach the gospel to any and all and let God sort them out, which is precisely what Paul was doing in Rome. Now, you might have picked up on this, that the passage from Isaiah that Paul quoted from comes from the book of Isaiah chapter six. You heard it read in part before the sermon. It describes the mission of Isaiah, the prophet to his own people. It also describes the mission of the apostle Paul to his kinsmen. And in some ways, it describes our mission. About five years ago, 
My two sons and I went to see the World War II movie Fury. Along with some of you. And the one scene that stands out to me in that movie involves a tank crew sitting in the belly of their tank on the brink of a terrible battle. The crew happens to be a cross-cultural community made up of Anglos and Hispanics. The tank is for them a sanctuary. And it so happens that in this one scene, a crewman begins to preach the word of God from Isaiah 6. And he says, here's a Bible verse I think about sometimes. Many times. And it goes, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. A bottle of spirits gets passed around the tank from man to man. They christen a young crewman machine. They offer shouts of praise and a cloud of smoke from their cigarettes fills the tank. The crew have identified themselves with Isaiah the prophet. They have related their mission with his mission. They know in this dark night that their mission will not be complete until buildings are laid waste, houses are vacated, and the land is desolated. They understand the dangerous call of duty and they respond, Here am I, send me. The crewmen look around at their sanctuary. They look at each other. They look at their own hearts. And the scene ends with a responsive benediction. The sergeant, the leader of the crew, takes a deep breath and he says, I love it in here. I sure do. Best job I ever had. And the crew responds, best job I ever had. Best job I ever had. Best job I ever had. When I think about that scene, and I think about my life in ministry, With all of you, I want to echo those words. I love it in here. I sure do. Best job I've ever had. Today is Reformation Sunday. It's a day that I used to encourage you to celebrate with a little more gusto. And yet in recent years, Reformation Day has become a day of lament. As we sing 
earlier, Come, O Come, Emmanuel. There is a verse of that song we didn't quite catch, but the verse says, Make our sad divisions cease. Make our sad divisions cease. But it's Reformation Day, and what would Reformation Day be without a story about Martin Luther? We need to tell a story about Martin Luther to round things out. According to one Lutheran pastor, who was also president of a Lutheran seminary, at the end of his life, Martin Luther visited his hometown, the place where he was baptized. He was sickly and elderly, and he went home to take care of some important political matters. He was trying to help resolve some tension. And while he was there, he had opportunity to preach, sometimes to more, sometimes to less. He preached at the church where he had been baptized. Historians like to speak about his last sermon, a sermon that was preached mainly to family and friends gathered around his deathbed. But this Lutheran pastor and historian says that his next to last sermon is one that we should note It was his next to last sermon that he preached from a pulpit to a congregation of five souls. The elderly and sickly Luther was so upset by this that he wrote to a friend that it was a sign to him that the Reformation was a failure. I suppose even great reformers think that Numbers are something and size matters. But the Reformation was not a failure and is not a failure. As we have learned, congregations may grow larger or smaller. Reformers may grow old and die. Messengers may be imprisoned and suffer. But true Reformation never dies. It is never over. The Lord's Church, Catholic, Reformed, Evangelical, must always be reforming according to the Word of God. It is to this end that the Spirit of God, the Gospel of Grace, and ministers of the Word of God labor and strive to the ends of the earth. As Paul once wrote from prison, the Word of God is off the chain. It cannot be bound or chained. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And if you want more evidence that this is the case, just pay attention to what Paul said in the two years that he was under house arrest. Listen to his letters and he will tell you what the spirit of God and the gospel of God were doing in and through his ministry, even while he was bound in chains. He kept on preaching the gospel of God's grace. And within two years, within two years, some more of his Jewish kinsmen believed the good news of Jesus Christ. And he writes in Philippians that the gospel reached the whole praetorium, which is a fancy way of saying that the gospel reached the entire imperial guard that watched over him. And it also reached the rest of the prison system through him and those guards. And not only that, even members of Caesar's household became Christians. And they were openly Christians and included 
their benedictions and their greetings to other Christians in Paul's letter. You can see this in Philippians as he says, the members of Caesar's household send you their greetings. All he wanted was a trial before Caesar. He wanted to plead his case before Caesar. He wanted to show that he was not the bad man he was made out to be. At least that's what he said in his legalese. But in his heart of hearts, he wanted to preach the gospel to Caesar and to the empire that Caesar ruled over. And little by little, over the course of two years, the gospel of Jesus Christ was off the chain in Rome, even though the messenger of the gospel was in chains. I've said this already to some of you. And now I want to say it to all of you. That together through the stages of this congregation's life, we have fought the long defeat. We have fought the long defeat. But that does not mean that we are defeated. As one man put it, we fight the long defeat because results are not as important as our father's delight. We fight the long defeat because we are not the authorities over success. We fight the long defeat because the final victory is coming. I know that it has been easy for you and for me to feel defeated, to feel discouraged in these last few weeks. But no one among us, no one among us should consider this ministry, this congregation, of failure. We are not failures. And we are not failures because we have walked and worshiped in union with Jesus Christ, Christus Victor. The gospel declares that even in the midst of all of these things, even in the midst of fighting the long defeat, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not because of our performance, but because of His. And not because of our power, but because of His. And we can be sure that neither the death of a ministry, nor things past, nor things present, nor things future, not even the powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or power in the earth below or power in anything in between will ever be able to come between us and separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That is the gospel that we have preached and that is the gospel that you have believed. And so, yes, we come to the end We come to the end of our series in the book of Acts. We have not come to the end of our story. We have not come to the end of our ministry. We have not come to the end of our life. We are called to take up the cross and press on until Jesus comes or calls us home. So God willing, we will start a fresh new chapter next week. And we will continue fighting the good fight of the faith together for the glory of God and the good of the world.